you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Yes, it does. Contessa and Wolf, thank you. Live from the NASDAQ market site, this is Fast Money. I am Brian Sullivan. And for Melissa, welcome, everybody. Your traders on the desk tonight are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. We're also joined by Jeff Mills. He is Chief Investment Officer at Bryn Mawr Trust. All right, we begin tonight with that major breaking news on Boeing. Sources telling CNBC just moments ago the company will halt production on the grounded 737 MAX airplane beginning next month. Boeing stock moving lower all session and moving lower in the after hours. Let's get more now on this major development as it's happening. Phil LeBeau live in Chicago with more. Phil. Brian, this is a decision to halt production that was reached by the board of directors from Boeing who met yesterday and today here in Chicago. And we've been hearing from people familiar with the discussions that the board was leaning towards halting production as opposed to slowing it down. It's currently at 42 per month. That's how many 737 Maxes they build. It's been at that rate since back in April. Remember, it was grounded in March. And what the company has decided is, look, at some point, when you have more than 400 built but not yet delivered 737 maxes, it makes more sense to shut down the line until the grounding is lifted. The workers who are out at that plant in Renton, Washington, about 12,000 of them, they will not be furloughed. They will be redeployed either to other Boeing plants or uh, other projects within the company, but they will not be laid off. They will be continue they will continue to be paid. The question now is how long does this go? How long will they shut down the line? And nobody's quite sure. The trigger for bringing the line back up will be when the FAA is close to or says, look, we're, we're going to lift the grounding here. And most believe that's likely to happen maybe early February, maybe mid-February. So do the math. You're looking at a, ground, uh, a production halt that could likely last anywhere from 45 to 60 days. But again, that's just an estimate at this point. If there are further delays, if the FAA says we're not ready and it gets pushed out further into March or even April, then you could see this halt in production last even longer. But again, Boeing has decided that it will be halting 737 MAX production. Brian, I can't remember the last time this company has ever done this on their own. Now, there have been work stoppages because of machinist strike. There was one back in 2008. But I can't remember Boeing voluntarily saying, we've got to shut down the line. Um, it's really, this is unprecedented. Yeah, it really is. A couple quick questions, Phil. What do you know about the order book for the 737 MAX? I mean, how many, for how many airlines over how many years? Right. I know it's a pretty deep book. And also, what about, speaking of machinists, any layoffs planned? Right. Again, no layoffs. They're not going to be furloughed, any of those workers. Now, what happens with some of the suppliers? Boeing is going to be working with their key suppliers. Uh, Spirit Aerosystems is a good example out of Wichita, Kansas. They build the fuselages for the 737 MAX. They're going to try to work with those suppliers so that they do not have to lay off or furlough any of their workers. Uh, and they want to continue as much as possible to continue to see uh, that those companies continue to supply Boeing with the key components there. And in terms of what this means for the bottom line, look, they've got 4,400 maxes that have been ordered. That backlog has not changed. 
And as long as that backlog is there, that's the support for the stock. Yes, it's down, what, 323, and we've seen it go as low as 320 a few months ago, but that's the support that's there. People are saying, well, eventually, unless they completely scrap this plane, and nobody's expecting that to happen, they're going to build these planes, they're going to deliver these planes. And that backlog, by the way, Brian, <clears throat> extends out seven, eight years, something like that, depending on what the monthly production rate is. You know, Phil, you talked about Spirit Aerosystems. I mean, there are probably hundreds, if not thousands, of suppliers inside of every plane. You look down at the industry yep. that I cover, oil and gas, it's slowing down. You wonder if this max production halt could have a ripple effect on, on almost the entire mm-hmm. American economy. Well, it certainly will have a, a ripple effect up in the Puget Sound area, the uh, Pacific Northwest. But the fact that the workers will not be furloughed at the Renton plant, that Boeing will continue to pay them, I mean, that's going to soften the blow a bit. Um, but you don't know what happens with the 600 or so suppliers who are out there. Boeing is going to work with them because Boeing is worried that, look, when we fire up this production line again and then ramp up production later in 2020, then in 2021, they want to make sure that the suppliers can meet that demand. So they don't want to see the suppliers turn around and say, you know what, we're cutting 20% of our staff. That's not what they want. So this is, this is the tricky balancing act that Boeing is going to have to work through with its uh, key suppliers. All right, Phil Abboa, a big breaking story there on Boeing. Phil, appreciate that. All right, shares of Boeing getting close to erasing all their gains for the year. Tim Seymour, 320. A lot of people saying that's kind of a technical line in the sand. They need the stock to stop there, down 4%, down another percent in the after hours. Your take on Boeing. Well, for people that want to see good news, I'm one of them. I'm long the stock. Um, but I, I think you, you, there's a couple things that you could have anticipated this news. Um, first of all, they, they raised almost $10 billion earlier in the year to offset the, the free cash flow impact. I mean, they've, they've gone from being a free cash flow machine to actually seeing it dry up. Uh, they took a five $5.6 billion charge in the second quarter against, again, building. I think they're going to have closer to 500 on inventory by the time we get to the end of this year. So uh, I, I think this is not a great day for the company, but I think it's important that they're being very proactive. This is a, a, as much of a political move as this is a, 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 you know, an industrial move. They're getting in front of something yeah. that you can argue that should have got in front of maybe months ago. It doesn't matter. I mean, that's, that's somewhat moved now. But in terms of the levels, you brought it up. I mean, 320 and change was the low we saw in the middle of August. That's where we probably are as we speak right now. We've said for a while that this stock will continue to vacillate between sort of that 325 level and the 375 level. And if you go back on November 26th, traded 375, we're sitting on a desk saying now's the time to pull the ripcord and take profits. The good news is today the stock traded about four times normal volume, typically trades about 4 million shares, traded about 16 million today. That's a good sign. A lot of people getting flushed out. The concern is the tape at some point works against you, and this is not the last headline. Your real level, if you want to get into the weeds here, is that last December, so a year ago, when the stock traded down to 298, if you recall. That's your ultimate support. But I think there should be decent support right at this 320 level. Uh, You know, it's interesting, though, Karen, because if you look at the two-year chart, and it's not exactly perfect, but you've basically made no money in the stock over two years. That is before the 730 max tragic accidents, the two occurred. Right. Boeing hadn't been exactly a rocketing stock for the better part of a year before this occurred. Well, but the prior year it had. Sure, it had for a long time, and it kind of stalled out. They just put out that official statement right now that they actually are suspending production, and they talk about the reasons why being (coughs) uncertain about timing of going into service, one of also including the timing for training. So it's... I don't know if there's any, anything to be inferred here about whether they actually think the timing might be 
put off even a little bit further. But I don't know. This, this maybe it opens just a tiny crack. I know Phil said nobody's talking about it, but a tiny crack. What if the 737 gets scuttled? Get, yes. Well, we've talked, about that. Be- we've talked about the possibility. And, and everyone says that's never going to happen. This plane <clears throat> will hit the skies again and it will fly again. But you wonder, what if? There's no guarantees in anything. No, never. But I think it is generally good news that we held that technical level, at least in the short term. But in terms of jumping right in, the trend line is basically flat. So I would look for a more clear change in that before moving more aggressively into the stock. But this isn't going to threaten the the nature of the company. I think the balance sheet is still okay. Once they start to deliver those planes that have already been built, you see better cash flow positions likely. But I think the supply chain story is really interesting. If you look at a company like uh, Spirit Aerosystems as an example, you know, they've been producing few fuselages at a higher rate than actually full planes are being produced. So with this shutdown, do then they need to cut back on production? And their stock has held up a lot better than Boeing itself. So you could see actually more room to the downside there versus actually Boeing itself. I, I, think, I think we have Phil. Phil, are you still there? Yeah, I want, here, to bring you, I want to bring you back in, Phil, because let's talk about, it's really a, do, I understand there's some smaller players, a duopoly in sort of yeah. large scale airplane manufacturing. Have you talked to anybody that suggests there might be a reputational risk for Boeing. Forget about the planes that are currently ordered and right. under production. Future models. Going forward, Air, Air, Delta, United, Southwest, who's got a lot of maxes, and I know they only fly the 737. Is there any risk they say Boeing kind of, you know, they kind of screwed us over on this one? You know, we got a lot of bad information for the company. We need to take a look at Airbus. Uh, yes, that is definitely out there. And I have <clears> heard <throat> that from people in the airline industry. Now, at the same time, they go into this understanding that there's only so far you can go with a duopoly that if you went to Airbus, how much of a you know, incentive could you get to become, let's say if you were Southwest, to also start ordering Airbus planes. Um, on the A320 side, not a whole lot. They might, might get some incentive if you're somebody like a Southwest, but maybe with a smaller plane like an A220. But there's definitely a reputational risk, Brian, no doubt at all. Look, you can already see it when you take a look at what's going on with the A321 XLR, which is the long-range plane that Airbus introduced this summer. Well, Boeing was supposed to have something counter to that introduced this summer at the Paris Air Show. There was no introduction. Clearly, Boeing is focused on the MAX. So what's happened since then? The XLR has racked up order after order after order. We just had one from United about a week and a half ago. That's United saying we're going to place 50. 50, that's the order we put with Airbus. So there is a reputational risk for Boeing. They are well aware of it, and it's not something that is just idle chatter amongst people. You do hear about it in the airline industry. All right, I know there's some also some other breaking news right now happening on, on Boeing. Sort of as you're sitting there answering that question, Phil, more news is coming on this big story. What else is happening right now with BA? Well, the, the latest, if you're referring to them making the official, the, the official announcement, is that what you're referring to, Brian? Yeah, and I know you probably haven't had time to dive in because you broke the story. <laughs> yeah. But now the announcement, yeah, I wonder it, if there's it, anything look, new is the, in that. This is... No, it's what's interesting is it's pretty much what we have been hearing about for the last couple of days that is likely. They said, look, we have previously stated that we will continually evaluate our production plans should the max grounding continue longer than we expected. As a result of this ongoing evaluation, we have decided to prioritize the delivery of stored aircraft and temporarily suspend production on the 737 program beginning next month. We believe this decision is least disruptive to... 
maintaining long-term production system and supply chain health. This decision is driven by a number of factors, including the extension of certification into 2020. The uncertainty about the timing and conditions of return to service and global training approvals and the importance of ensuring that we can prioritize the delivery of stored aircraft, we will continue to assess. And I think there's one last part of the statement here, our progress towards return to service milestones and make determinations about resuming production and deliveries accordingly. That Brian, that's a nice way of saying we're not sure when this is going to be lifted, when this plane will be approved by the FAA, and therefore we're not sure when we will resume production of the 737 MAX. Again, what I'm hearing from people is expect 45 to 60 days, but that's purely, purely a guess. It could be shorter. It could be longer. It all depends on what the FAA says with this plane. Hey, Phil, uh, curious how much of this is is really the politics around uh, the there were some that said the FAA was not happy with the guidance that Boeing was giving to the market. Do you think that's what this is? And only that? Absolutely. They weren't happy that that, there's no politics there. The FAA has been frustrated on so many fronts when it comes to this process with Boeing. And when Boeing put out the guidance on November 11th, saying we expect certification by the end of the year and possibly some commercial service for some airlines when they take delivery by the end of January, they went nuts. They went nuts because they were like, wait a second, there's a whole bunch of things that still need to happen. And there's some public comment periods that are built into some of these steps. I mean, it it was from the beginning. And you saw that almost immediately from the FAA. They came out and they said, oh, no, 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 no. You are not going to be the ones telling us what's going on. And it continued, and they, they would not bring back that guidance. And that's when you finally saw Steve Dixon meeting with Dennis Mullenberg in Washington last week after Dixon was on the Hill. That's when he said to him, knock it off, because we're not ready to approve right. this. And by yeah. the way, they've got about 10 or 11 steps they still need to, to go through. And there are public comment periods in there. He's not short-circuiting this process. Phil Lebeau, a lot of breaking news there on a major important story. In fact, probably the most important stock in America because of its heavy price waiting inside the Dow. Phil, thank you very much. You bet. All right, Karen, uh, start with this. Dennis Mullenberg, Phil, the CEO, lost his chairmanship. Right. No. Does he deserve to lose his job as CEO? Uh, deserve? I'm not Should sure. Should he lose could his it job happen? as CEO? You could see it happen. Well, are you I implying mean, that there's a fresh thing that's gone wrong, which is the communication factor? We're talking about handled. the disconnect between the initial reports, nine weeks, and the FAA, nine months, and the lack of communication. I'm just wondering how a CEO, who is arguably doesn't have all the information, but should have more than anybody else, has made such tactical, apparently tactical errors. Karen. Right. I don't know. I mean, certainly puts more pressure on them. This is surprising to me, the actual suspension of production. I mean, because it just opens up such a can of worms in terms of their supply chain and what could happen to them. And then once they want to revamp and, you know, get going again, is that supply chain still able to do that? And are the customers still there? How much can you sell that plane for, even if, you know, even if they do? How much do you owe now in continued delay? How much do you owe the airlines that have already ordered them. I, I don't know. I think, God, it's a lot of pressure on him. I, I think that was a, a serious misstep, though, to confidently convey 
um, that we, you know, we think they'll be flying in the first quarter. Well, I think in terms, too, about thinking about the stock in Molenberg and how to trade around that, it's really difficult to buy or sell based on sort of that binary outcome, in or out. You have to guess whether he's going to be in or out. You have to guess that correctly. And then you have to guess whether the market's going to like it or not. And so I think it's very difficult to try to trade around that and make a decision solely on whether the CEO is in or out. I think you have to look at other things. Would it be beneficial for the stock if, if there was a new CEO at the helm? at this time or is I, it I don't know or is I it such a complicated issue that you've got to get through it before you made the any CEO changes. over oversaw a re-rating of this company of massive proportions. Let's just be clear about that. But I, I hear what you're all saying. And I would also say, you know, uh, we, we talked a little bit about the, the leverage on the balance sheet and, and the short term, not a big deal. But, you know, they went from 0.4 net leverage to 2.1 net leverage from 2018 to the last quarter. It can move very quickly when you're just building inventory and you're not sending planes out there. All right, we'll get you more on Boeing. Boeing falling 4% in the, pre, in the uh, current session, over a percent in the after hours. Well, I'm sure we'll have much more on Boeing going forward. All right, coming up, it is the nonstop rally to record highs. But one top Wall Street strategist says all good things may come to an end. Blackstone's Joe Zidal is here. They'll say it might be time to take a little cover. And speaking of the record rally, if you're worried that you have missed it, fear not. Your chart master has got a few names that are going to help you catch up to this record rally. As always, we are live in Times Square in New York City, and there is so much more fast money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We've got more breaking news for you right now. Market flash on Roku. Julia Borston has that news from Los Angeles. Julia. Brian, Roku shares are down about 4% in after-hours trading. This is the company announced today that CFO Steve Loudon is stepping down. Roku says that Loudon is involved in choosing his successor as CFO. The stock is having a big year, though. Despite today's decline, it is up more than 350% year-to-date, and it was up 4% during the trading session today. Brian, back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you very much. Guys, Roku, this has been, I mean, guy, this has been a rocket ship. Now the CFO leaving, would it change your mind, change your opinion on I mean, on that, that doesn't change my mind. There are a lot of things that would change. That's not, look, I don't think that's one of them. I understand why it sells off the knee jerk makes sense. I mean, Dan Nathan ridiculed me the other day, correctly as it turns out, thinking that Roku was headed back to $200. I still sort of think that, but I can understand how people would think this is a hardware thing. It's going to be commoditized. It's going to be left in the dirt. Look, it's been an amazing trading stock if you look. I mean, the moves have been great. Technically, it's done everything right. It's got to hold this 130 level, I think, in a pretty major way. Otherwise, it looks vulnerable, again, to the levels we saw just six weeks ago. Yeah, it's got 107 on the 200-day. That's about 14% below where we're trading now. So if you're looking at where the pocket could be from now until then, I would look at that range as a potential support more longer term. Okay, appreciate that. All right, coming up, take a look at this mystery chart. We're going to find out why Carter War says that stock, maybe it's a stock, maybe it's a commodity, who knows, is ready to break out. Plus, Tesla shares, they're on the move today after a long-term bear said even he is seeing some upside.
Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We have a big interview coming your way tomorrow. Former Fed Chair Alan Greenspan will sit down exclusively with the Skawk on the Street gang. Be sure to catch that interview. It will kick off at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time tomorrow. Check that out. All right, happy holidays, everybody. What a December. You're welcome, Tim. What a December it has been. Another record day on Wall Street. All three major averages closing at new all-time highs. The Nasdaq 100 up 35% this year. The S&P 500 up 27%. But Chernesca says enjoy those records while you can, folks, because they are likely not here to stay. Let's bring in Joe Zeidel. He is Blackstone's chief investment strategist. Joe, thanks for coming on. Thanks for are you, me. Are you just going to just, are you pulling the Brian, ice bucket challenge? call him Jay-Z, by the way. Just Jay-Z? So you know he's Jay-Z. Is that okay with you? For the record, yeah, no, I was Jay-Z yeah. before Jay-Z was... You were, which is it was. Well, the subways in Brooklyn that are together was that before either of you. Here we go. Are you going to do the ice bucket challenge on this rally? I mean, are you throwing cold water on it? Is this is this all she wrote? Unfortunately, I think I'm going to have to, because if you think about 2019, it was a year where every single macro risk was thrown at this market. Right. You had a Brexit deadline that came and went. You had trade war intensify. You had a manufacturing recession an earnings recession. Yet markets didn't care. Why? Because 2019 was the year of the central banker. Right. In other words, central banks had the biggest pivot that we'd ever seen. They went from balance sheet tightening to balance sheet expansion, you know, hiking rates to cutting rates. We had more central banks cut rates in 2019 than any time since the great financial crisis. So we look at 2020. I'm willing to bet there's going to be some macro risks. I can think of two, trade and Brexit. We haven't heard the last of them, but what's the policy response going to be? We're not going to get this massive pivot the way we got in 2019. You know, the Fed has said that they're on hold, right? And, and, and you know, we might get some incremental balance sheet expansion or, or whatever else, but we're not going to have this massive policy response we saw in 2019. I think we have to prepare for volatility. Okay, fair enough. But, you know, the old adages, right, guys? I mean, don't fight the Fed and don't fight the tape. Yep. Both appear to be <laughs> pushing the market to new highs every day. Why yep. would that suddenly stop with the rollover in a calendar? No, I think it's a good point. I, I don't know when we're going to see this volatility uh, over the course of the last couple of months as we move closer and closer to price targets that we'd had on the market. I thought it would start to kick up. What, I, what we underestimated was really this massive policy response. But do you get your same bang for your buck when you go from you know, $23 trillion uh, in, in debt to $24 trillion, or globally when you go from $255 trillion in debt to $260 trillion? There's diminishing returns there. At some point, you have less and less of a policy response 
but you still face the same headwinds. I think it's going to create volatility. There are 10 stocks today that are 23% of the market cap of the S&P 500. It's the highest concentration that we've seen since the mid-90s, and then before that, you've got to go back to the mid-60s. That means there are some opportunities of under-owned stocks, under-owned sectors, and I think there'll be buying opportunities. I just don't know that it's concentrated in the Big Ten. So what are your thoughts about earnings for next year? Because if they're there, right, and rates don't move, we could see a market continue higher. I think that's, that, that's the optimistic case. I, my guess is that we've probably seen the bottom on the 10-year Treasury yield, so I think the yield's going to move higher. There's inflationary pressures that are kind of emerging from a lot of different corners today. One of them is wages. When you look at wages, they're continuing to move up. Look at the production non-supervisory, right? These are your rank-and-file employees. They saw wage gains in the most recent uh, jobs report that we haven't seen since September of 2008, and their labor markets are only getting tighter and tighter. Right? Earlier in segment, we were talking about Boeing, how they're reluctant to lay off or furlough employees, and they don't want to see that in their supply chains. Because the ability to find qualified workers is so difficult today. Companies don't want to let go of them. Employees know their value. They're extracting higher and higher concessions, i.e. wages, wage inflation, housing inflation. These are pressures that I think are going to push the 10-year Treasury yield up higher. It's just generally going to be a more difficult environment for valuation. We'd like to see the earnings growth. My guess is it's probably less than where the street is today. But, Joe, so reluctantly, though, give us your silver lining, at least in those sectors that have underperformed or lagged that you think could do okay. And you're not sure when, but it sounds like you think the Fed is at least on hold. And to me, a Fed doing nothing right now in the economy that's going to print one and a half to two percent is a windfall. So where can you get excited? Yeah, well, so the Fed has told us that they are on hold. I don't even think it's, it's mm-hmm. much of a guess because the Fed is is doing their best to, to telegraph this. Um, there are a lot of companies out there that are cyclical but still insulated from global trade, right? And you see those a little bit more in, like, the small and mid-cap space here in the United States. Um, you've also seen this sort of real strong defensive rally in 2019 where some of your, you know, dividend payers ended up being sort of the most overvalued companies on a relative basis. So I think, you know, anything that's outside of those, uh, those top ten leaders is fair game. But you've got to do some fundamental work because we're simply not going to have this, uh, you know, sea yep. of liquidity out there. That's we got to wrap it, Joe. Best, best new idea right now from Blackstone is? We buy companies. We buy real assets. We invest. Uh, you know, we don't Residential really... housing still? You're the biggest landlord in the United States. I think logistics is going to continue to be a strong secular trend, not only here in the United States, but all throughout Europe. That Amazon effect has done a ton to disrupt traditional yeah. retail. We know it, and we're not even... We're in early innings in that. And we had, I think we had a $12 billion warehousing deal a couple months ago. Prologis, somebody else. Joe, great stuff. Jay-Z, excuse me. Yeah, come on. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Brian. Good seeing you. All right, so we are heading for one of the best years for your investments in a long time. But if you've been underinvested or maybe you've been uninvested, don't beat yourself up too bad. The chart master is here, and he's got a few names that he believes still have room to run Carter Worth over at the Plaza with more. Give us some opportunity, Carter. Sure, let's bang it out. It's names that have a common circumstance. They basically are hovering at well-defined tops at a common level and have really not made progress for basically 18 months, i.e. they're lagging the market. And the presumption is they're going to break out just as the market did. Right? So if you picture these tops, we know the S&P has done this. Right? The betting here is that ISRG, one of the biggest healthcare stocks, is going to do it. Look at the next setup. It's the exact same pattern because it really doesn't matter what the operating business is. Verizon. Well-defined tops at a common level, and the betting is, you could draw it this way, you could draw it so many ways, but the betting is that this is going to exceed those highs. Look at the next one. VF Corp, 
big consumer name, right? Well-defined tops at a common level. The betting is that it's going to exceed these tops, to break out. These are the kind of names that have held back and they have potential. Becton Dixon, it's the same setup, it's the same story. Tops in play, breakout potential there, and I would buy it. And then finally, one of the biggest of all, well-defined tops at a common level. You can see it, you can feel it, and the betting is this breaks out. What's so interesting, of course, is he's got a lot of utilities which are doing well, he's got a lot of Apple, and he's got a lot of railroads, and those are also good. This stock probably catches up with a lot of those. Chartmaster Carter Worth. Carter, thank you very much. Okay, yeah. around the desk, we got some good names there, Guy. Intuitive, Verizon, VF Corp, Becton Dickinson, Becton. and your buddy, the Oracle of Omaha. Becton Dickinson is the most interesting one. And, and Carter, by the way, you can see him each Friday at 5.30 on Options Act. Listen to you making a nice little promo for that's Big for Carter. Carter Worth fan as he walks away. But what I'll say is Becton Dickinson, 19 times forward earnings, is the most interesting one. Listen, ISRG, Intuitive Surgical, I get it. It's breaking out. But it ain't cheap at 40 times forward earnings. So if you want a stock that I think is reasonably valued, breaking out to the upside, it comes out BDX. Well, if you think about Berkshire, the exposure that they have not only to the banking sector, but also to some of those things that are very industrial is very encouraging for laggards that still have some value. So that's a chart and that's a, that's a name in this environment that I think you follow. Yeah, look, I think it's, it's hard to argue with Carter. I think the setup for all those names is pretty good. If you get those breakouts, I think you could have additional momentum to the Anyone upside. Anyone that really sticks out to you. No, not in particular. But what I will say is, with the momentum of the overall market, upon those breakouts, you could have even additional momentum. And, Karen, to your point, talking about earnings, you have 178 for 2020. Even if that gets cut in half to 5% earnings growth down to 170, if the market is still willing to, willing to pay 20 times for trailing earnings at the end of next year, that gets us to 3400 so you don't need tremendous amounts of multiple expansion. The Fed still is going to be on hold. So I think in combination, even if you pull back earnings expectations, it's enough to push the broad market higher. So upon these technical breakouts, you could have even additional momentum. If I had to pick one of those, I'd probably go with you Verizon. Do. I knew, I I knew it. You Verizon. Did. What makes Verizon look so attractive? Well, I think that as rates have come down a lot, so that's huge for them because clearly they have, balance, you know, they have a balance sheet that... Uh, Lower rates, obviously better, but I think... They got a lot of debt. They got a lot of debt. It's a very short way of saying what I was trying to say, very long way. They have a nice dividend yield, which I normally never like to look at a dividend yield as anything to uh, be a peg to buy the stock, but also, I don't know, I think they're doing the right things. We'll see if streaming helps them. I I think that entertainment asset might have more value. So uh, all those reasons, GP, Verizon. There you go. All right. Coming up, Citigroup says it is time to bank some coin on Mm. one big bank stock. We're going to name that stock coming up. Plus, Uber, a rare big up day for that name. We're going to give you the reason and the trade on Uber ahead. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. One big bank getting a big boost from, well, another bank. Mm. It is your call of the day. Citigroup upgrading Goldman Sachs to a buy from a neutral. Analysts see about 13% upside for GS, citing little credit risk, an easy Fed, and improving capital return. The move in Goldman shares pushing the XLF banking ETF to another record high. So, Tim Seymour, do you agree with the call? Is Goldman Sachs 
a big time buy. Well, this is an environment where Goldman historically um, thrived. This is where there's a risk on, where there's a lot of opportunity with low rates, with, with certainly derivative products, et cetera. Uh, if you look at the financials, that could have been another one of those charts that Carter showed where after 10 years of consolidating, we finally have a breakout. By the way, we're at all time highs on the XLF. So, yes, I think you can in, you can own Goldman here on a combination of it's it's no longer the former Goldman, but it's still Goldman Sachs, folks. And at the end of the day, the valuation for the investment bank is still something I think probably has a lot in it. Stocks overshoot to the downside, as we saw when I think it traded down to 145 and, and chances are it overshoots the upside. And I think 255 was the price target. But my metrics are what's book value, what's tangible book and Goldman vacillates. But I don't think they deserve much more than 1.4 times book value. And you can do the math. So I think that 255 level, if it gets there, it, it, it may, but it'll be extraordinarily stretched if it yeah, does. Yeah, let's be clear. The analyst raised the price target from 220 to 255. It had blown through the 220. So, I mean, the analyst had to do something. Either have to you know, downgrade, so they obviously upgraded and tried to ride that out. Is there any other bank stock, Kai Dami, than yeah. your former company, Goldman Sachs, yeah. that you maybe like more? Blackstone, and we've talked about that for a while. I mean, Blackstone, where other, these other stocks are doing very well. I mean, Blackstone's making all-time highs, as is J.P. Morgan, by the way, but seemingly every single day. So... I think BX, if you're looking for value out there, I think that's the one you want to be in. And if you read the note, it's interesting. It's actually a low-rate story, right? It's, mm-hmm. This is a brokerage. They're going to be able to do better in an environment where the yield curve stays flat. The yield curve has actually been steepening, however, and I think there's an argument to be made, as Joe talked about, that the curve could continue to steepen. You would think that maybe long-term rates are tethered because of what the Fed's doing. Those rates should be a reflection of the expectations for short-term rates. But then there's the term premium, and the term premium's been negative, and it's been forcing the low end of the yield curve down. What we're seeing now with global growth starting to get a little bit better, negative yielding debt's gone from $16 trillion to $11 trillion, and we've started to see those interest rate differentials between international and the U.S. compressed. So I think as that term premium starts to blow out, you could still see our yield curve here steepen, and that could be good for those non brokers Yeah, but I, and I want to be clear, Karen, for our viewers and listeners, I mean, this is not some screaming pounding the table by a city. They basically said... Given all the things we just talked about, we don't see a lot of downside. I mean, they yeah, weren't exactly, you know, what they preferred, it seems like, is American Express and Capital One, which were buys, and they made very positive comments about those stocks ahead of Goldman in the note. I guess, you know, Goldman's sort of been left behind for a while, so this was, uh, I guess, as good as it gets. For the, I, I'd rather be in Bank America. I know Goldman is sort of in the process of trying to figure out exactly what their business is, pushing into the consumer business. Bank America is is neck deep in the consumer business. I'd rather be there for a valuation that's really not much different. Okay, likes BAC over GS. Karen, thank you very much. All right, we've got a lot more to do still yet here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. We'll tell you what sent shares of Uber, Lyft, and Tesla into the fast lane. Plus, will FedEx deliver? Why tomorrow's earnings could be a major moment of truth for the company. Stick with us. Fast Money is back after this quick break. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Uber shares posting Mm. one of their best trading days ever. That's right, the stock surging more than 5% on reports that Uber is planning to sell its Uber Eats business in India. That deal could be valued at around $400 million, but Uber, of course, has not confirmed those reports. Despite today's gains, those shares of Uber are still down more than 30% from their IPO. So, Karen, 
Is now maybe finally the time to take a flyer and buy shares of Uber? Uh, maybe up until this point, this might be the, the best time. I, th- I like what they're doing. I like that they've shown some discipline. Clearly, the notion of just spend, spend and grow and worry about valuation later, that doesn't work anymore. So I like discipline, discipline and try to really own the markets that you want to be in. However, I'd rather own Lyft. Yep. It's, just a, it's just a cleaner story. Why? It's just, it's just North America. It's just the... the uh, they don't have the food. They don't have the delivery. They're not they trying to get into logistics. logistics. Exactly. They got the trucking. They got this. The yes, international. Exactly. So what she did there, which I know you might be a little tired today, it is Monday. Would you rather? Uh, I don't yeah. want to go she in. She self. Self, would you rather? She just self, would you rather? You should have picked up on We call that producing from the anchor chair. And the producers hate it. Well, sometimes, but maybe the fan base enjoys it. When you picked up on Karen's well, verbal let's ask, cues. I, I was longing for a little would you rather last block, by the way. And I thought we but had I'll give you would you rather quickly. Thank and you I'm for getting the same. She, w- did you get what I just did there? She goes, I, I saw she what goes you did through the there. fan base and go, let's ask it. I, I I it's not lost on me. You just rode right through and it. Hope, well, because it's more like than a one second person. Boston left. They have a pathway to profitability. Go back to July when the stock was trading 63 and they told you about that pathway. And we've said now for the last couple of months, it's probably not going back there, but I absolutely could see the stock back. But in the this would you rather guy, is it if you had to buy one, you would buy Lyft over Uber, but would you buy either of them? That's not the point of the game. It's not Brian. the game. I'm asking the question. Would you buy either Lyft. Would you rather not buy yes. it? Yes. You know what? <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't. <laughs> would you, would you oh, rather no. not play that's, this game? That's, yes. I would rather not. See, I, I, understand, I understand the lack of complexity in Lyft, but I would almost go oh, the other way. I thought you meant in the game. No, yeah. no. Well, that too. It's not that complicated. The show for that matter. It just comes up out of nowhere, evaporates. But in thinking about ultimately the profitability and the growth that's needed to get there and the amount of money that these companies are spending, I do like the idea of trying to diversify internationally. And if you're going to have the discipline to cut your losses when things aren't working out, I do like that with Uber. It's still trading at four-time sales, so expensive. But I don't you know. Maybe, are you I, maybe I would rather. Like are you putting your wealth management clients to bring more trust into Uber? Yourself. No, listen. These aren't typical stories that we get behind when profitability just isn't there. So these aren't stories that we love. But playing the game here, I may take the other side. And what's weird about the uber story is that this is a story that is your everybody knows our viewers all know your clients all know they they take ubers probably all the time and they're sitting there going is this sort of a peter lynchian type thing where it's i like the company i know the company i call a car when i'm at newark or philadelphia airport but there's a difference between a good company that is ubiquitous and a good stock. But also a company that's got enormous regulatory headwinds, possibly, or at least we don't also know their costs. We don't know what their tax obligations are going to be. We don't know if they're going to have to call these people employees or not. London, they may be gone if they don't These are big issues for the name that is still structurally not profitable. Okay. Sticking with the autos sector, kind of, investors also charging into Tesla today. Credit Suisse releasing a note saying, despite its underperform rating on the stock, they believe that Tesla really still is the leading future of car making particularly when it comes to electrification and the battery and software side of the business. Shares of Tesla jumping more than 6% and closing in on another record high. Jeff Mills, your take on Tesla. 
to your point about our clients, what we would recommend, I've said this before on the show, it's not necessarily a name that we would get behind generally. I feel like the outcome is somewhat binary. It's either going to be really good or really bad. So that's typically not a risk-reward profile where we would pile our clients into that stock. I would say from a trade perspective, you have the stock now approaching basically a two-and-a-half-year a two top. So if you're able to see a breakout above those levels, you might be able to get behind some momentum here. But I still worry about the cash burn, management issues, competition, all of these things put too many question marks in our mind. So stay away. But for a trade, if it breaks above that, that top, I think you can get in it. Is there an ownership? Of One of the things that Credit Suisse talked about <laughs> was the battery technology. That basically, they've got more gigawatt power battery than, than the rest of the competition. Than the rest combined. of everyone else combined. Is there just a, this is a hell of a technology company, forget about the cars. Well, that's, that's, look, that's the story, and, and that's been the story, and that's been the story for analysts that want to get behind it. This analyst has got it at $200, which is more in line with what everybody knows is my view on the stock. Um, I think what you're really waiting for the stock is we need one more earnings. We need to know where ultimately the, the profitability of the company is, because that is what turned this story on its head, and certainly has been where it's been a painful short. Okay. Up next, focus on FedEx, the company reporting results less than 24 hours from now. And one options trader is betting on a big drop Mm. in FedEx after the results. We're going to break down that action. And as we head out, let's take a look at our Kramer cam. Jim giving his take on what else? The record rally for the stock market and your money. And more importantly, where we may be headed next. Be sure to catch that and more coming up at the top of the hour. We're, of course, still here on Fast Money live at the NASDAQ market site. And we're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. FedEx shares falling today after Amazon announced it is banning third-party sellers from using FedEx ground for Amazon Prime shipments. Amazon says FedEx's performance simply hasn't been up to snuff. News comes just a day before FedEx reports results and tomorrow's earnings. Well, they could be a major moment of truth to the company and its investors. You might recall that FedEx tanked 14% last quarter after missing expectations and slashing its earnings outlook. And options traders believe the stock could be in for a similar fate this time around. Let's find out why and get the trade. Mike Coe in San Francisco with the options actions on Federal Express. Mike. Hey there, Brian. Yeah, so we saw about two times the average daily put volume earlier today. And the options market right now is implying a move of about 6% after they announce earnings. That's significantly more than the 4.3% the company has typically seen over the long term but in line maybe with the 7.5% that it's seen on average over the last eight quarters, and much of that the result of the last quarter's disappointment, as you mentioned. And the options trade that I saw that was sticking out to me was a purchase of 950 April 165, 140 put spreads. The buyer spent just over $7 to buy that. And actually, if we take a look at that last quarter, it's not too hard to figure out what they might be targeting because you'll notice that they're going to get protection essentially immediately if it should make a disappointment on its earnings. But the downside strike that they sold is essentially right to where that stock fell after that last quarterly disappointment, right around the 140 level. So there is a little bit of bear sentiment going into tomorrow's results. Mike, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. A trade like that, do you think of that as an outright trade or is that someone maybe protecting the long side down to where they think the uh, support is? 
My guess is it's probably protecting a long position. And the reason I think that is because obviously the stock has had quite a run off of that disappointment. So we did see it trade down to, I think, 138-ish that first week of October after their last quarterly results. Obviously, it's rallied considerably since then. That would be essentially the danger zone, if you will, trying to protect some gains. Think about it this way. You're spending a little over 4% of the current stock price to get that insulation, and obviously it's going to provide you significant protection, not only through this earnings, but the next one as well. All right, Mike, thank you very much. All right, Karen, you think tomorrow, what, day of reckoning for FedEx? And it's well, every day, sadly, has been a day of reckoning when they report earnings. I am long. Um, I hope not. I do think when they finally get it right, not if, but when. Why are you so if, confident? Uh, I don't know there's going to be tomorrow is that when, but I think that there, there will be a re-rating. It has been in the penalty box. It deserves to be in the penalty box. It's However, a- I think there, there, there's a real, I mean, there's upside there. Yeah, and, and they've also been blaming other people and other things. It'll be interesting to hear if they talk about the global economy and green shoots and anything else. It'll also be interesting to hear if they guide down on CapEx much in the way that UPS has done. These are things I think people are thinking about. But I'm long like you, and I, I, I think uh, there's a lot of bad news in this stuff. Does Amazon matter to FedEx? Yes. Well, they say they don't. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, look, there's obviously a a land grab to be able to deliver all the time every day. It's costing a ton for everyone. I I just noticed a lot lot of the Amazon packages that are coming on my street or my house are done by individuals. Want to use the industry lingo. Sort of a guy that buys a van and has now become a delivery person. That's right. And they they talk about drop density, right? (laughs) So the UPS, the FedExes, they make money on bringing large amounts of packages to one location. And now you're having lots of small packages delivered all over the place. That is a little bit of a squeeze on margins. And when you think about tomorrow being a day of reckoning, between earnings and just the technical setup, we bumped right back up to the 200-day moving average today. It was turned away. So let's see if earnings can actually break above that. And the reason, Guy Dami, I I say that is you look at that chart, the intraday chart, and where it dropped is where the Amazon news came. But you can see FedEx only fell by less than 1%. It's not like it collapsed. On that Amazon. And historically, that association would have meant a lot. That's fair. I mean, and we go, I go back to October 9th when Bernstein downgraded the stock from, I think, market perform or market to perform from outperform and lowered their price target to 153. We said that day their timing was miserable, but they could probably wind up being right. I think tomorrow's the day they're right. And 153, given the way the stock has performed after earnings, I think numbers right in the crosshairs, Brian. Okay, guys, thank you very much. Good call, FedEx. Remember, those numbers are tomorrow. For more options action, be sure to catch the full show, which yeah. is when, Guy Adami? Oh, Friday at 5.30. Yeah. Friday at 5.30 Eastern time. Yeah, well, I mean, your final trades. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Let's recap the big news that was brought to you at the top of the hour on Boeing. Boeing officially halting production of the troubled 737 MAX jet beginning next month. The company's saying it does not plan to lay off or furlough any of its workers in Washington during that suspension. Separately, Boeing also announcing it is holding its quarterly dividend steady at $2.05. Shares of Boeing are lower in the after hours after falling more than 4% during the regular session. All right. Time now for your final trades. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour will begin with you. One of those sectors that's really been outperforming is healthcare. UNH is breaking out the all-time high. I think you can actually own managed care in an election year, and I think that's been proven over and over again. UNH. Jeff. I think Lowe's is interesting here. It's working on an 18-month breakout to the upside. New management has come in, and the gap in same-store sales growth between Lowe's and Home Depot has narrowed, so I think uh, you could buy Lowe's here. Yeah, I'm always long, but I need some protection, just in case the China deal isn't quite as solid as it appears to be. Blackstone continues to go higher, Brian. 
Thank you. Guy Dami. Good stuff tonight. We'll see you Great guys stuff. back here tomorrow. Mad Money with Jim and the Market Rally begins right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 